Kate's mom died 17 years ago. Kate was 24 at the time, the youngest of the four sisters. Being a motherless mom has been her biggest grief so far. She feels like she experiences the loss of her mom over and over again. If you are enjoying the podcast, can you please leave a rating and review? I'd certainly appreciate it. And now, Kate's story. Hi, this is Beth. Welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. We're glad you're here. Today I have with me Kate. Uh, Kate lives in Connecticut and we were commiserating about the crappy weather we've had this winter, but the sun is shining here. It looks like it's shining there too, because I see a reflection behind you on the wall. Um, So we are hoping we're on the other side of that, that um, where they say like March comes in like a lion and out like a lamb. I hope that hope that that's true because it has been a lion. So Mm -hmm. I am going to turn the mic over to Kate and let her tell her story. And then as usual, I'll come back at the end with a few questions. Um, So welcome, Kate. Thank you for being here today. Well, thank you for having me. Um, As I was saying before, before we start recording, I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to have an outlet and a place to talk about my mom and to, you know, share the loss. I know, unfortunately, so many of us have experience. So, you know, thanks to your podcast. I know we're not alone. Um, so I will jump right in. Um, I am the youngest of my mother's four daughters. She had all girls. Um, she did actually have a son that passed away from death, um, very early on, um, my parents' marriage, but you know, they, all the children that they had, they were living were females. So I'm the youngest, um, the oldest and I are 16 years apart. So I've always said, as I've grown up with my sisters, um, there's a spread 16 years, my oldest and I, the second oldest and I are nine years apart. The the third and I are exactly five years apart because I was born on her fifth birthday because I just, you know, wanted to ruin her life. Um, So it's a joke that I ruined her birthday and I stole her birthday and, you know, Um, so there's an interesting spread, but all of us have had, you know, kind of a different version of mom throughout our lives. And so part of me always, you know, prior to her getting ill, prior to losing her, always felt like they all had some different mom that I had. And I I couldn't exactly say that theirs was better, but they definitely had mom in some of the years where she, you know, she's obviously younger and maybe more carefree. Um, Although my parents had a very difficult relationship, marriage, and, you know, ultimately divorce. Um, you know, I always felt kind of gypped that I got the least amount of time with her, which is, you know, a, a hard thing to, to grapple with, but, you know, it is kind of where we are. But, um, you know, in the early stages, I just remember mom worked a lot. Um, my parents were actually divorced. Um, if I listen to the family stories, they're actually divorced after the first two daughters. Um, number three and number four, the two of us on the end, um, you know, my parents just couldn't stay away from each other. Uh, they were not meant to be together, but they sure had a lot of kids together. Um, so, you know, that meant mom worked, um, she was really like more prominently was looking for jobs as like, you know, just a secretary. She would do typing and all of that, um, the corporate kind of nine to five job, but she also did some catering. So that meant that she would work nights and weekends. And I had always my older sisters with me, but we were typical like latchkey kids of the, you know, eighties and nineties, um, and I spent a lot of time in my younger years growing up without my mom and not for any other reason, but she just had to work. Uh, it was not uncommon that she had, you know, three jobs to support us. Um, so that was, that was tough, but it was just kind of the way it was. Um, <clears throat> as I got older, uh, one, you know, one episode with illness we experienced was actually when I was in high school. I was part of my high school's marching band. And so it was kind of a big deal in our area. We were like the championship band. We would compete in the fall. And my freshman year, my mom made every effort to be at these competitions. There was some travel involved, but mostly local around our county. Um, And my freshman year, it was kind of a theme show. Uh, The theme of the show was it's called Rituals. And we had like real African chants in the show. And it was really beautifully done. But Uh, We would joke that we made it rain every weekend because it rained every single weekend. It would start raining when we would perform. It was, you know, almost very funny. Um, So the the authenticity of that was really quite remarkable. But that being said, my mom would be out in the stands, you know, often not 
always in the best rain gear. So um, she got sick that fall and a cold turned into bronchitis, turned into pneumonia, um, turned into, you know, she that kind of really triggered asthma in her. So from that year into the next couple of years, and honestly, I really remember most of my high school years, um, you know, the asthma was pretty bad for her and she had been hospitalized here and there. And so that was my first real experience with understanding that like mom is sick, mom goes in the hospital, but mom comes out of the hospital. Um, my oldest sister had moved back home after you know, she, uh, her first husband had very tragically passed away at the age of 28. So, um, they were in Colorado at the time. So my sister moved back home. And so it was nice because she and I are the ones that are 16 years apart. Um, and so, you know, she, I didn't grow up with her a whole lot. So it was nice to have her back in the family, but you know, she was there too. So those times your mom was in the hospital, um, my oldest sister, Liz and I would, you know, kind of be hanging out, doing our thing, waiting until she got back. Um, and my mom, we'd always say she was just like a tough woman from Brooklyn, New York, and she always made it through. And even as bad as it could be, she'd always recover. Um, my mom just didn't know how to not be strong. It was one of those, she was because she had to be. Um, my dad had gotten remarried and had another daughter with his second wife. Um, and so, you know, it was just us, it was mom and her girls. And she just did everything she could for us. And as limited as she was in her ability to make money and do things, she just, you know, she always took care of us. So she pushed herself to be out in the stands when I was competing to be there for me because that's what she did. So at times, you know, especially now as an adult, I look back at that and um, I feel like she really did make that sacrifice that I get it now as a mom myself that, you know, you'll do anything for your children, but I do have that, I do have some pangs of guilt here and there that she was trying to be a presence, but I do remember one competition, it was driving rain and we had, we were practicing outside and then it was pouring rain and these things went on rain or shine, whatever weather. And um, I remember their plan was my mom and my sister were going to come. And I remember my, I think it was my mom that came up and was like, I just, I can't, it's, I'm sick. I can't be on the rain. And I was like, oh, I can't believe you're not going to come and you're not going to watch me. And, you know, adult me is, you know, just really upset with teenage me who, you know, made that moment about myself and the drama. But as a tired mom, we understand that, you know, she just had to pull back. Um, so there were many hospital stints here and there for, for that whole episode of her life. But eventually she got the asthma under control. Unfortunately, she, you know, often needed an inhaler, but it, these were hospital stays that, you know, sometimes it's a quick ER visit, well, not quick maybe, but, um, uh, and in and out ER visit, um, doctor's visit, sometimes it was an overnight here and there, but it always felt like she'd get through it. It's fine. She's tough. That's mom. Um, so what, you know, another thing about my mom that's important is that my two middle sisters had children and, um, one of them was a single mom. So my mom did everything she could to help support her grandchildren. And so that meant picking kids up and this and that. Um, one of my sisters had to, you know, when she was leaving her husband um, and going through her divorce, um, we had, my sister came home with her two little ones. And I remember we lived in a very small apartment, but that's, it was the summer after my freshman year of college. I happily slept on the floor of my mom's bedroom to give my other sister the room with her and her two girls. And it was definitely cramped quarters, but, um, you know, my mom wanted to help my sister get back on her feet and do anything. So my mom was often, you know, daycare, preschool, pickup, drop off, you know, doing all of those things that, you know, a mom does. So, um, you know, my sister got back on her feet and moved out on her own with her girls. And so, you know, there was this time I felt like when I was in high school that my mom was there for me as much as she could be. She was also there for my sisters, even though they were adults, whatever they were going through, if they needed support with the kids and like the drop-off pickup, or they needed support with money, she was always there. And, you know, my mom never had a ton to give, um, you know, money-wise materials, but she was always there with that emotional support. And she would truly give you, she had $20, she'd give you her $20 um, because, you know, one of her girls needed it more. So we cut to um, college. I go away for the first year and I, I did, I had an out of state experience that I didn't really love, but I finished my first year of college and I decided to transfer back home and commute and to go to a state school and, you know, be close to home. And this was the first time in my life going into my sophomore year that it was just my mom and I, and my sisters were all okay. Everyone was good. 
Um, so it was really nice to, you know, we lived in an apartment. It was just me and mom. It had never been me and mom. Um, and that was true. It was the fall of 2002, 2001. And, you know, we, we had moved to a different town other than our hometown because my mom was like, well, hometown was getting kind of expensive. And she said, well, you know, we don't have to live there because we're not bound to your school. You, we could live anywhere. So we moved a few towns away and we found this really adorable apartment and as it used to be with my mom, when she struggled in earlier years, my older sisters would often, um, you know, work full time and they'd help pay rent and pay bills. And I was the first one in my family to go to college. So it was kind of a different thing for me. So um, I always paid my own car payment, my car insurance, whatever I could do by myself, I did. Um, of course, mom helps where she could, but um, the deal was, okay, you're pretty independent and I can swing this rent all by myself, which was kind of a milestone for mom at that point. Um, so it was kind of this agreement of you take care of you, I'll take care of this and we're good. And that fall, I just, I have such fond memories of, even though, you know, they, we, they weren't, um, hardy in the way of like money and having things. There were definitely a lot of, you know, tight financial experiences we still have, but it was just like so amazing to have that time where it was just my mom and I, and it felt like we were okay and we were going to be fine. And that that Thanksgiving of 2000, um, it was just the two of us and everyone was kind of off doing their own thing. And so my mom and I went to um, a fairly local like brewery and had like a dinner out. And that is one of like my fondest memories because it just being the little one, I think I got enough attention as a little one, but you know, I, I feel like I never fully had her attention. So um, those, those months leading up to 2001 were pretty precious and um, some of the most special things I remember because in 2001 um, is when everything happened. So um, my mom was office temping and she was, you know, older, she was in her fifties. Um, and so being someone at a lot of old school skills, but you know, was older, I feel like it's clear to me now she was experiencing a little bit of ageism in the office and um, hadn't landed in a, a good permanent role with a company as a secretary. But thankfully, at this point, she's now down to one job, not three. And um, so she was working through like temp agencies. Um, so she had a pretty steady job with, you know, a particular company. But I'm just assuming it was easier for them to, you know, for her to be paid through an agency rather than, you know, have more financial you know, payment from the company. But she she started to not feel well while she was at this job. And um, she we didn't have insurance. We grew up without insurance. So there was never any doctor's visits. There was no regular routine care. Um, like dental care was out of, like off the table. And so as an adult, I am, I'm experiencing a lot of like dental issues because I finally have insurance as an adult and I've been taking care of things for years. But so there wasn't a lot of room for preventative medical care. So my mom, being the woman that she was, she would tough it out like every other illness. And um, this was different from the asthma. Um, she went to a walk-in clinic and, you know, they had ordered blood work and they were like, something's off. We don't know what it is. They um, they get the blood panel back and they're like, well, it says that you have hepatitis A, but don't worry about it. Um, they treat it like it's viral. You know, you could have gotten it from takeout or something or who knows, but it should go away. And so she had this weekly kind of check-in this was you know january of 2001 she'd go just kind of be monitored um by early almost mid-february uh she slowly but surely and i can't remember can't recall how we didn't see this happening faster she'd become jaundiced so we were like oh okay this is weird and she went to the the walk-in and saw that same doctor and um, they did the blood work and they were like so you need to go to the hospital um go now so they sent her to the emergency room and they did a whole bunch of things. And, you know, I get this phone call that mom's in the hospital and we don't know what's going on. They decide to admit her. They're doing a whole host of tests and all this. And I remember joining my sisters, um, you know, in the hospital and we're getting some answers. And this is now it's Valentine's day of 2001. And the doctor is like, so listen, you're in liver failure and we don't really know what's going on but when they figure out they put all this you know blood work together and everything that they're checking and all the scans and everything and I have to admit now um that at that time you know I was like 19 years old and not paying all the attention that my older sisters were um but I just remember them giving us this like devastating diagnosis like we don't know why you're in liver failure 
We don't really know what caused it. Um, many, many years ago in the same hospital in our hometown, my mom had to have her gallbladder out. So I mean, it's even possible she got hep A infected blood and that, you know, who knows, um, you know, it was dormant or whatever. I don't know. But nonetheless, they said, so your liver is shutting down. And um, we think that you may have about a two year window before you need a liver transplant. And we're like, wait, what? Because, you know, when anyone says liver and your liver failure, you automatically think like alcohol drinking. Um, my mom didn't completely abstain, but she was certainly not a drinker. Um, you know, my mom's 55 at the time and, you know, we didn't have a lot of preventative medical care. And um, so, you know, she just like, she wouldn't go to the doctor because it was all out of pocket and very expensive. So this, this is what she would do. She would tough it out until she couldn't. So of course we're all frightened about what the prognosis was and what was going to happen. So now we get to, you know, she's a paycheck to paycheck kind of person. And uh, how are we going to pay rent? Because I was a student and I was waiting tables. And as much as I made to kind of just cover my car payment and all those things, I, I couldn't, I could not have taken on the apartment. So it became this whole big scramble of like, what are we going to do? And my older sisters, you know, obviously all like stepped in and did what they could um, to help out. And we had to figure this out, but it became very clear that we weren't going to be able to, mom and I could not stay in this apartment by ourselves anymore. And, um, you know, we didn't know what liver transplant meant, but we knew that she needed to be on a, a list and it was going to be very time sensitive about whether she was sick enough to have the transplant, if she was well enough to get it, um, if it would be compatible. And so it was this whole thing. Um, so it was just really kind of devastating news. And we, you know, forged on as best we could. As a college student, I was just really grateful that during, you know, spring break, winter break, summer break, I could keep taking classes. I could apply for housing and I would stay on campus. So I basically became like a full-time resident on campus and took out all the student loans to cover all of that because we had, you know, nothing um, to lean on. And then there were definitely times in between where I couldn't be in college, where it was couch surfing with um, my sisters when they could, because then my mom needed to couch surf too. Um, and Often it was coworkers, which, you know, felt awkward at times, but I mean, I had a lot of people that did step in and kind of help out. Um, so we realized we were going to have to get our mom into um, a facility, not a facility, but like a, a living situation where, you know, rent was minimal. She was told she now has to apply for disability. Um, in our state, it was very challenging um, because her first round of disability, her first application took a very long time. And the first one was denied and I'm like, okay, so she had to appeal it and go through. So in the meanwhile, she was on, you know, welfare, which was, I think maybe $200 a month. And then her disability was like 900 a month. And it was really very pitiful. Um, so then it became, you know, where's mom going to stay? What's going to happen? And these places where she could have lived, you know, long waiting lists, but eventually something worked out and she was uh, able to find uh, a place in a facility where she was able to, you know, afford on what little rent they asked for but um from 2001 in you know through like really 2005 um so many hospital stints this is back in the days of like flip phones so my one sister the number two in line the one I'm nine years apart from um she would save every hospital room phone number that mom was in and um, would save with the room number. So, and she just never deleted them. So that was another thing after she passed is like that, that flip phone with all those phone numbers. And we would joke that our hospital has like, you know, this floor and East and West. And we're like, well, she has stayed in every single room and six East and West and seven East and West. She could write reviews at this point. You know, we're not going to donate money by any means because we don't have any, but um, they could name something after her at this point. Cause she's like, like, are there frequent flyer miles because you're in the hospital a lot? Um, but it was scary because, you know, she was on so many medications. I now, as yeah, I'm telling the story, it's like, I wish I had paid more attention back then, but I think that there's probably a reason I blocked a lot of it out with all the details um, because it was truly my older sisters that were more involved with the hospital things. Cause I was maintaining college and still going. There were definitely days I felt like maybe I should just drop out and work full time and, and help and just be a grown up. And my mom you know, when that came up was like, don't you dare do that. Like, you're the first one to go and you're going to finish. Um, so it was, you know, it's just hard to be a young person, to be a college student, to not be able to live that life that my, you know, my classmates were, my roommates, um, they'd go home on the weekends and I'm like, I don't have 
this is my home. Thank goodness I could stay here. Um, you know, I, I, I waited tables. So I worked weekends and it was just like, you know, I get a phone call, Hey, mom's in the hospital again. It's just, you know, we had so many things she had, she was on so much, pre- she's on prednisone every day for the rest of her life until she passed for all five years. Um, we were in and out. There were all these things that were happening and, and the complications of this illness. Um, so many times I felt like she was brought almost to the brink and then would come back. So we'd be like, Hey, you know, that's mom. She's tough. Like she's going to be fine. Um, she'd make it up to the ICU and then she'd make it back down to a regular room. So, um, they diagnosed her with something called primary biliary cirrhosis. And it's this type of liver condition. It's an autoimmune. Um, no one knows how you get it. I'm sure it's, you know, like the nebulous world of autoimmune illness is, um, just, you know, it's one of those like, who knows? And I don't know if there was any family history in her family or if this started with her, um, but it did give us a, uh, a starting point for ourselves. So, you know, it was kind of something too late to treat with a lot of medication, but this was a segue for the doctors to look at us and say, okay, well, you're her daughters. And so you might want to get liver panels done and you might want to check this specific blood test. So, you know, being that I was the youngest, um, I've had it checked. I've had things checked. My older sisters all have some form of the indicator, the marker, um, and different levels. But it's interesting once we got through all this, because we learned of this autoimmune connection and earlier in the eighties, my mom had, um, really bad psoriasis and even took part in, um, we're not too far from Yale university, um, took part in a Yale university study. They use like tanning bed therapy back at that time. Um, but I remember being young and seeing like psoriasis all over her hands, her arms, her elbows, her feet. And those were in the days where she was waiting tables and, you know, doing the catering job. And, you know, I know she would wear like long sleeves on purpose when she could wear like a short sleeve blouse as part of her uniform, because I know how self-conscious she felt being someone who's serving food and her hands looked horrible. So there were some connections made later on that, oh, that was kind of a sign of the autoimmune. But, you know, we looked at each other like, well, what could we have done? And we had, we had no health insurance. There, no, everything is was too expensive. And my mom was barely making ends meet. So, you know, healthcare was not a priority, sadly. Um, but it definitely was a wake up call to all of us as her children to, you know, be able to be proactive in that way. And do we have this marker for this thing? And do we have things going on? Um, so if anything, it's taught us that lesson. Um, but my mom was declining. And so like fall of 20 or 2005, um, the sister I share a birthday with, um, she had moved out to Colorado with her husband and children. And so my mom was really, you know, wanting to get out to see the kids because she hadn't seen them. And so she made a trip out there that fall. And um, we there's a picture that was taken of her while she was there. And she really, like, we can see she was like getting more jaundiced again because the jaundice would kind of come and go. Um, I really remember that at the beginning of the illness and I remember kind of getting better. But towards the end, it's like, you can, she's yellow. She's like a Simpsons character. It was like, really like, wow, how did we not see this? Um, but she was, she was frail and she fell. And we, you know, we think like, she really probably wasn't strong enough to make that flight and, and go. But I, I almost feel like she knew that if she didn't, she wouldn't be able to. Um, so that was like October, I think of 2005. And she came back and the, you know, the weeks that followed, she just, she just declined. Um, and Thanksgiving, we spent in the hospital with her. And then Christmas was in the hospital with her. And I remember my going with my sisters and, um, you know, there was a gift exchange there. And of course I'm like this broke college kid. And, um, my mom had a thing for, we, we kind of shared a love for the twall design. And so in her little place, I, I went to like our, like a local shop and found these little like twall, um, little lampshades for this like little chandelier that was in her, over her table in her apartment. And I remember I didn't bring it to the hospital because I was like, well, this is stupid. We're bringing presents and we're going to bring it back. And that was just me being angry that I'm visiting my mom now for the second holiday in the hospital. And I hate this. Um, but I said, to her, I was like, you know what, if you want my present, you got to come home because I left it in your spot. So I'll see you back in your apartment and I'll give it to you there. And it's nothing major, but I think you'll love it. Um, but I just remember my mom, you know, my mom hardly ever cried, at least not in front of us a lot. Like there are maybe truly a handful of times I had seen her cry to that point. And I just, you know, my sister had this blanket made for her. And I just remember the tears because I almost feel like maybe my mom knew she wasn't coming home. Um, 
maybe ever, I don't know. So, you know, things kind of took a turn. Um, and we were like, well, we'll get her. Well, you know, she's at least she's stable. She's in a normal room. It's not ICU, whatever. Um, so early January, 2006, um, my oldest sister and her husband were, you know, they were, um, they loved the jam band scene and they were going on a jam band cruise and they had room for one more in their room. And, um, I was living with them at the time because that was where I was staying. And, um, but I was, I just got my first teaching job. So they were like, you can come with us. We have a room. And I was like, that's, I think I couldn't miss work like this. So my second oldest sister is the single mom. And they decided that they'd ask her because, you know, she had never had a honeymoon, never went on vacation, hardworking single mom. So my two older sisters were on this cruise and the plan was they were leaving on a Friday, flew down to Florida. We're taking the ship out of Florida on Saturday and they were going to come back the following Friday. And just before the trip, you know, mom took a turn. She was, you know, she was in like a rehab nursing home facility because her just levels were off and everything. They transported her to the hospital and she's in ICU, but she's awake. She's talking. And for a moment, my sisters were like, should we not go on this trip? And my, my mom told my oldest sister, like, please go, please take your sister. She needs a vacation. Like she's not been anywhere. Like she deserves it. And one of the stops they were making was Jamaica. So my mom was like, bring me back one of those Jamaican rum cakes. Like, I'll see you when you get back. So my oldest sisters had seen the two that were local had seen her like that Thursday. And I show up on Friday after my sisters have flown to Florida to get ready for the cruise. Um, other sister is in Colorado at the time. because where she lives. And I went Friday and it was like, we had two completely different versions of mom. She was somehow up and talking on Thursday and joking and everything and being her normal self. And Friday I see her and she's like losing her ability to speak. She's mumbling. She's moaning. Um, I can't understand her. And I was so frightened. I was alone and I couldn't, you know, she's kind of trying to tell me something and I couldn't figure it out. And it took me so many minutes to realize that like she was itchy and her hair was itchy and her comb was nearby. So I figured I was like, do you, do you want me to brush your hair? And so I did. And I think the comb on her hair just felt, and she was just like, oh, and I will never forget. Like, I was like, oh, I fixed you. Okay, good. It's all good. We're going to be good. But I remember leaving the hospital that night and I called my sisters. Um, I remember they called me because again, it's like before smartphones and everything. Like, I think I spoke to them on a landline when I got home, which is weird. And uh, they were in the hotel. They're like, how's mom? And I said, don't go, don't go. Um, she's not good. And they're like, she was just talking and they weren't going to not go. And they're like, no, she's fine. I was like, I have a really bad feeling. So, but I was like, but, but go, like, I don't want to dampen your whatever. It's like, it, it, it's fine. So my other sister, because, you know, she's older and I'm the youngest. Um, we made arrangements for my sister to come from Colorado and, and be with, cause it was like, I was like, this isn't good. So you're in the ICU and they're like, listen, we know your mom, we've seen your mom. And, um, we are, we are definitely concerned that, you know, she's declining. Um, by Saturday, she was like comatose. She was quiet. She, <laughs> I couldn't get anything out of her. I couldn't get a hand squeeze or anything. And so I was like, um, this is bad. So my sister flies and she gets there by Sunday in this week. And my niece was two at the time. So she brings my niece with her, which was good. We needed the like comic relief of a two-year-old walking around. We needed that break of having a little, a little one nearby. And so, um, she got to the hospital. Mom's condition hadn't changed. So this is Sunday now. And it's, it's, it's looking like this might be the end. And we had the hardest time being able to connect with our sisters on the cruise ship. But, um, I even went so far as to like call the cruise line. I'm like, is there any way you could patch through to the ship? Like nobody, like phones, I, we just didn't have the accessibility. Um, and they couldn't connect us. So it was like, they'd have to call and check. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So she's here. We're together. The two youngest are here. We're trying to take care of, you know, things, She's not getting better, but we'll see what happens. Cause we're like, it's mom. She's tough. She's going to be fine. Like they're going to fix her. They're going to figure it out. Um, and so we did kind of the bedside vigil that Sunday, that Monday we took turns, we were there together. And, um, I remember the, one of the ICU nurses was like, listen, yeah, your mom's tough. He's like, but let's be real. It's shit catheter place. And he's like, she doesn't produce urine in like 24 hours. So we don't see that. Like, that's pretty scary. He's like, that's, you know, and he was very, very gently blunt about like, you know, yes, your mom's tough. It, like this doesn't mean she's not tough if she doesn't come back from us. He's like, 
He's like, so if she does, like, I'm going to best case scenario of this for you, that she will need dialysis and that would be hell on your body. And um, so he's like, just, she's got a lot going on right now. And I was like, well, you know, she's lived, you know, she lived for five years and we never got this transplant, but she was always on that teeter of like, not sick enough to need the transplant, not well enough to be taken off the list. But, you know, all these things were happening and he was kind of like, you know, this may be the end, you know, we'll, we'll do everything we can, but this may be the end. So um, Tuesday of that week, I went to school because I didn't know what to do. And so my coworkers were like, what are you doing here? And I was like, you know, what? I've been in the hospital, like really since Saturday and I can't do it anymore. At the time I worked at a small private Catholic school and we had this sweet nun, Sister Phyllis was the best, um, come to me. Uh, she's our like receptionist. And I remember being in the hallway with someone. I'm like, I just, I can't focus there anymore. And I can't, I don't know if I can do this. And she comes and she's like, Oh, she's like, Kate, the hospital's on the phone for you. You better come. And I was like, Oh my God, she died. I missed it. I missed it. And I get on the phone. They're like, hi, this is the doctor. And I was like, she's dead. She's like, no, she didn't. Die. I was like, okay. All right. But she said, your mom's really sick and we need to talk about like comfort measures. Cause it's been Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Now it's Tuesday. She's like, she's not producing urine. She's not getting better. Um, so we decided, okay. I said, okay, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to the hospital. I was like, I think this, this is a sign I have to go. To, I have to go back. So my sister and I meet, meet there. And actually my dad has been, you know, in the background, um, you know, my parents had a very difficult relationship, but, um, but around my mom's passing, my, you know, my dad came to the hospital and he was there with us that day. And my, my dad had a massive heart attack, um, in like the early eighties and he had a blood clot in his leg and he had, he had to get, I mean, they, they did the, you know, the paddles to get him back twice. And so he survived, but he lost a leg. So my dad's in a, in a wheelchair and he joins us at the hospital and we were in there. And um, I remember when I got there, my sister and my dad hadn't gotten there yet. And so um, I remember I got there and one of the nurses kind of doing the sponge bath, cleaning her up and, you know, changing the dressings and everything. And and uh, I remember she came out and she's like, well, she's not quite ready yet. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll let you know when she's ready. And she came out and she grabbed me by the shoulders and this nurse had tears in her eyes. She's like, I liked your mom a whole lot. This is where I'm gonna lose it. Um, because, you know, my mom made friends everywhere she went. We joked like she's in the ICU and freaking yucking it up with the people. Um, one of the nurses was very pregnant and um, red hair. I was like, oh, I'm sure this girl's Irish. Like my mom would love to, we're Irish. So like, I know my mom probably had some encounters with her, but I'm, I was like, I was thinking if my if mom was awake at any point that this woman came in the room, she would have asked her, what do you do? What are you having? I was like, my mom would love to talk to Sadie about her baby. And I won't forget that this nurse came in and she opened the window like a crack. And she's like, you know, for when she's ready to go. And I was like, oh, I appreciate that. Cause we're not, we're not heavily religious at all. Um, but we're very spiritual. So I kind of appreciated that notion of like opening the window for her soul. Um, and because I've been talking so much, I forgot to mention that really what was at this point, um, my mom had just so many things going on. And um, at the nursing home, the nurse wasn't very gentle with her and you know her levels were up, which brought her to the emergency room. They they called an ambulance to bring her over because she she had more needs that they could service at this time, which was this last day. But someone had pulled on her arms to pull her up and they dislocated her shoulder. So we had a lot of strong feelings about that. Um, we went back and spoke to people about the way my mom was treated, but my mom needed a surgery, but was too sick. And because of the pick line situation, because of all the illness, you know, she's just full of, you know, IVs and this and that, um, she had contracted MRSA. So it wasn't actually the autoimmune illness. I mean, certainly she was declining in so many ways and couldn't, you know, her body couldn't defend itself, but it was really the MRSA that took her out. So as we are dealing with our mom dying, we had to put on gloves and masks and like the gowns. So like I, you know, I, I spent a lot of that long weekend before my sister arrived talking to my mom and being like, I'm too young to be sitting here doing this by myself. And I, I knew I wasn't going to be alone for long, but I wavered between mom, please stay. I, I, I just, I'm barely an adult. And then being like, you know, it's okay to go. Um, her body was so shot. And knowing that, you know, they told her she had two years and she lived for five years. I'm like, you are a fighter. And it, it's so hard to do that. You know, stay, keep fighting for us because I know she was. And I know she wanted more than anything to be with us. But it's also like, I couldn't even fathom the pain, the discomfort and all that. And, and for a lot of her illness, it felt so inconvenient to be a young person and to not be able to have a, like a, an easy life and a carefree life because I have to go take care of my sick mom on 
the days that I didn't have class, I'd run her to appointments because she couldn't drive anymore. And I felt very resentful. And, um, and we also had like a sick cat at the time. And there were days where I was driving from campus to go get her and she had an appointment and the cat had an appointment. I'm like, I'm like just surrounded by illness and sadness. And it's like, we used to be in this apartment just months ago, happy me, my mom and our cat. And it was like, everyone was healthy and fine. And I was really resentful that all of that was like coming to an end, um, that we didn't get to have that for longer. So, um, you know, but that morning it was very clear. I was like, okay, mom, you can go. It's okay. You can go. So eventually my dad and my sister show up and we were in the hospital room for like a while. And, um, we were like, okay, we need to stretch our legs. Let's go down to the, um, let's go down to the gift shop and let's go look for like plants or something to bring to these nurses. Cause the ICU staff in that hospital is phenomenal. And, um, they did so much for us. So we're in the, we're in the, um, gift shop and the phone rings and I hear like the background noise and the woman at the desk goes, are you Tracy and Kathleen? My sister Tracy was with me. And we're like, yeah. And they're like, they need you upstairs right now. And in our hospital, it's now since been remodeled, but the main elevator floors up to the ICU were like, and the elevators were just, you know, famously very slow and we're hitting buttons and we're trying to get up there and you have to get buzzed back into the ICU. And then we had to like throw on gloves and everything. But I told her that morning, I said, I'm going to hold your hand until it's over. Um, So really for comfort measures, they didn't have to do much, but turn down the blood pressure medicine because that really was what was, I guess, keeping her going. Um, And she was on a ventilator too. So we had all that noise, but we came into the room and we saw her heart was flashing at like 33, 33, 33 for, for a while. That was the number I honed in on. And then it just dropped and it was like 27, 25, 20. 19. I was like, no. And I was watching it. I was like, no, 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 no. Watching the numbers go down. Then it hit zero and I heard it flatline. And I just, I wailed like a noise that I'll never forget, but I certainly couldn't describe. But also the ventilator was still going and I was next to it. My sister was on the other side. My dad's in his wheelchair at the foot of the bed and I'm on the other side. And I remember I just started hitting this, like, shut this off. Like, that's not her. And then, you know, like later I thought better of like, I hope I didn't break something, but I'm sure they've seen worse. But I remember hearing that thing still going and watching the zero. And I just stared at it. And I I was like, no, I've been watching her heart every time she's in the hospital. Like it became so commonplace. And especially over that weekend as she's declining and I just, I was like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. I can't believe that was the moment. Um, but we, I was so glad. I was like, we just made it. And so we went to my dad's house later and his, his wife had made us some dinner and, um, you know, this is hours later and, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to go backward for a second. I went to her apartment first and I waited outside. I sat on the bench and I just sat and watched traffic because I, my sister was going to meet me there. And I was like, I don't want to go in alone because this is, this is acknowledging like mom will never come back here again. And I, my, this place was on a pretty busy road, which is in our hometown actually. And I drive by a lot because I work in my hometown. And I remember watching traffic and I was like, it was a January 10th, 2006. And it was cold, but it was sunny. And I remember the sky. I remember it was like, you know, like a beautiful day. And I was watching and I was like, okay but doesn't everybody know that mom just died? Like how, how are they driving their cars? How are they like, I'm sitting here looking at life go on and we were preparing for this moment, but truly nothing prepares you for this moment. So I went inside and I remember one of the first things I did was take up all like the medicine. I just like threw it into a bag and threw it down the garbage chute, which I probably shouldn't have done. But I remember being like, well, she doesn't need this anymore. So we're getting rid of it. Um, but then cut to later at my dad's house. Um, my, I remember my dad was like, so the weirdest thing happened. He's like, you know, you girls were gone and we weren't actually gone all that long, but of course the slow elevators took us a while to get there. And, um, he's like, I was talking to your mom and just, you know, saying things. And all of a sudden I heard alarms go off. And he's like, I wheeled out as fast as I could. And he's like, but my girls are downstairs. Like, like, he's like, I knew that this was happening. That was the moment. And he's like, I watched her heart go from whatever. It was like some three-digit number, but he's like, it dropped. He's like, I can't tell you how long it held in at 33. He's like, I watched it. And I said, I noticed it was at 33 for a really long time. And I was like, of course she waited for us. Like she waited. I was like, so I knew at least like spiritually to connect, like 
she was ready to go. And I was like, why would you wait till we, like, you had to wait till we left, huh? I was like, this is, I can't. But um, so it's very, you know, it's, it was, it was bittersweet because, you know, that morning I had that close call that I thought the hospital's calling me to tell me, sorry, you left and she died. And then I thought they were calling us to tell us she died. And I was like, well, this is mom, you know, and she couldn't be here with us, but she was with us as long as she could. Um, so it was, you know, it was difficult. I mean, I, I felt like, you know, my mom died on a Tuesday. I took the rest of the week off. I went back to work on Monday. I was like, um, auxiliary help at my school. Cause I wasn't certified at that time for that particular subject. So I was like a tutor sub and I taught like some classes, but not a lot. And I just didn't have time off. And so a lot of people were like, how are you here? I'm like, cause I kind of can't be home. Um, so, you know, cut to, you know, in 2007, I meet my now husband and we got married in um, 2010 and my daughter was born in 2014. And so there's just so many things that have happened, but I definitely feel the loss of, you know, she never met my spouse. And I wonder, you know, I think, you know, I think she would have had a lot to say about him. And I'm like, oh, mom, you'd really like him. Um, and I wonder what their interaction would have been like. And I I will never know. Um, I always tell my daughter, she calls, she calls my mom, angel grandma. And so she says that she'll, she'll play, you know, she would, she will dream with angel grandma, angel grandma's garden. And, um, and I, I, I'll check on my daughter. She's almost nine years old, but I'll check on her um, in her sleep. And I swear every night I look at her and I see my mom's face and her sleepy expression. So that's, that's a comfort, but I do feel like, um, the journey in motherhood has made it so much clearer to me about all the things, all the things I would have experienced as a mom and not to have my mom with me. And so that's been kind of a trial in and of itself. Um, you know, I have a lot of mom friends and I have a lot of females in my life that are very important and, you know, special. And I know that they're in my life for a reason, but it definitely feels it, it's been interesting being on the motherhood journey that, um, you know, without your mom and all the things I wish I had paid attention to when she was storytelling about our family, I wasn't ready to hear all those things and I wasn't interested in those things. And so every now and then I'm like, oh, I wish I could hear you. Um, I wish you could tell me those stories, but was not the family history and all that stuff was not interesting to me when I was 19, but it sure is now. Um, and I, I always say to my daughter, I'm like, you know, I know you met angel grandma in heaven and she sent just exactly you to me. So I know she handpicked you for me. So those are kind of small comforts, but I do feel like navigating motherhood, uh, without my mom is, is, you know, that's, I think that's the biggest grief. Um, and I would just like to think that, you know, whatever, um, whatever I'm doing, I, I feel like there's a little confirmation here and there. I know that she'd be proud. Um, I got my undergrad degree. I went to graduate school. Uh, I did a couple of other programs. Um, you know, I, my mom did as best she could, but grew up in a very different time. So she was as successful as she could be. But at this point, the I didn't think I'd go to college. So to have so much college under my belt, I'm very proud of it. It was not easy, um, but I know she'd be proud. I know, but I just, you know, selfishly would like her to be here and to say it and to hear her voice. Like I, I'm okay knowing that mom would be proud, but you know, I just selfishly wish she was here to share in these moments. Um, and just for as much sickness as was going on and the hard times that were happening when she was sick, um, for a long time, my sisters and I, like when the phone would ring, we'd get like, oh no, but we were just so used to the panic and the, oh no, it's mom. And there was something actually kind of comforting after she passed. I was like, it's not mom. It's okay. Whatever it is, it's going to be okay. Um, you just get so used to living in that trauma of the medical issues, the challenges, the surprises, all those things and worrying about the worst thing. I'm like, well, now the worst thing has happened. So we've, you know, every day we, we are through it. Um, so I, you know, I just have to take comfort in, I'm proud of myself for, you know, getting through, but uh, this past year marked 17 years of her being gone this January 10th. And I don't know if it was, you know, our gloomy weather, like, um, I was sharing with you before the recording that we've had a lot of rain and cold and gloominess, which is 
for me, someone who doesn't like ice and snow, actually seemingly a fair alternative, but I don't know if that just felt like an even heavier cloud, but this past anniversary, 17 years is still a long time. And it wasn't like a, an even or a round number, but for some reason it just hit me so much harder um, this year. And I, I, I can't explain it. And I think that that's just like the point of grief that some days I can tell the stories about her without shedding a tear and I can laugh and I can, um, I can, you know, we, my sisters and I can tell stories and we can giggle about things. And then some days I wake up and it just hits me like a ton of bricks and there's no rhyme or reason to it. But I think that, you know, hearing everybody else's story, like that's okay. Cause that's what, you know, you, you never, you never stop needing your mom. And, um, in those moments where I need her, I just talk to her. And when I dream about her, it's like, okay, no matter what it is, I always feel like my dreams often in, involve like, I know she's going to die. And every time I have a dream about her, it's like, I'll be with her, go do whatever, because you just have her back for just this little amount of time. Um, so as sad as it is to see her in my dreams, it's like, I'm glad to have you back for a few. Um, and that's, and that's, you know, that's as good as it is, but I do see her in my daughter's face and her expressions. And so I know there are probably moments where she's nearby. Um, but you know, it's, it's definitely important to be able to talk about it and, and get through it and um and realize that this is, you know, there was people say grief is not linear and it certainly hasn't been. And I think as a daughter losing a mom, whether you have children or not, or whatever it is, it's just hard to be a girl without her mom. So, you know, that's that takes us to like present day, but I just try to live those experiences with my daughter and so it goes up as much as I can because I'm definitely in a better place financially, professionally. Um, to do more with my daughter and really um, the many lessons I've learned is definitely the lesson of just appreciate the time, make the memories, do all the things because that's what we remember about our moms. Yeah, that's very true. I've had many moments where I, you know, like I like to exercise. I like to try to eat healthy, but mm -hmm. I'm like God's not going to care if I have a thigh gap. Like it's not, that's not what's going to matter when it's at the end of the road and people are, are at my funeral. They're not going to be like, oh, she had the best thigh gap, you know, it's yeah, just right. not, not what's important. Right. Um, and, you know, I, unfortunately I'm going to be 40 years this year that my mom oh, was wow. gone. And um, oh. you're right. There are just times when, because nobody, nobody, nobody will ever be able to do that for us. Mm -hmm. And like, I know how much I love my kids and I'm like, man, I just want somebody to care about me like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. And it, unfortunately it doesn't go away and you're right. It comes sometimes out of nowhere. I woke up this past Sunday in a complete funk. I was just like, and I wanted to talk to my sister who was also gone. Cause I'm like, you know, she would like, my husband is great, but he, I could have got called my sister and be like, I just don't even know what's wrong. And she'd be like, I get it. You know? He yeah. kind of always wants to think, wants to know what's wrong. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong. I'm just not right. I'm just just not right. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but being a, being a mom without a mom is definitely a different, yeah. a different type of animal. Yeah. It's hard. It sure is. It sure is. I uh, definitely, you, when you said you were sitting on the bench outside your home and you were like, doesn't everybody know my mom died, you know? The world just stopped. Why are you moving? Like, what, what is wrong with you? And that's where are you going? What are you doing? Don't you nothing know? else is important. Like, yeah, that. And I still feel that way sometimes when I'm thinking about her or something else happens. I'm like, and I, and I feel myself be like, well, yeah, well, my mom's dead. So I'm having a worse day. Like it comes out of, out of nowhere. And I think, I think only people who have experienced a loss know it. Um, you know, I, I, I can't explain it other than like, that's just the, it's not fair. And sometimes I want to shout like, it's not fair. And the thing I miss the most, like, oh, I have not heard her voice. I I don't want to forget it, but I haven't, it's, we didn't have like a video camera, but when uh, one of my sisters got married, we have like very, we borrowed someone's video camera and we had a VHS put onto disc and it's very grainy. And I, I was operating at like 15, this camera. So it's shaky as all get out and it's horrible, but we have some moments and it's the only place I have her on like live moving 
you know, film, if you will. And I've listened to it, but I, I haven't been able to listen to it in the last couple of years. I like I want to break it up now that I'm talking about her, but it's like, man, I think I remember her voice, but I can't, I kind of can't remember. And that makes me so sad. Just, just that alone, you know, that's, you don't think about it, but it hits you hard when it hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you decide to listen to it, you ought to, re- you know, do it, just a recording on your phone. Yeah, yeah so that me. when you just, yeah, yeah then when that's you a good listen, idea. Yeah, when you want to yeah. listen to her, you can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I love that you talk to your daughter about her and that mm-hmm. your daughter calls her her angel grandma. Um, and just, I had Amber Bradbury on the podcast mm-hmm. and she wrote a book about if grandma were here. So mm-hmm. there are some lovely resources out there too. Um but it seems like you're already ahead of the game with that since you already did talk to your daughter about that. So I think that that's phenomenal. Um, and so I'm just kind of interested, like, hey, how are you and your sisters? Like, this bring you guys closer? Are you? Yeah, I mean, I think um, during that time, you know, we all, we would do this all together because we were females and this is our energy um, where we, simultaneously banded together, do what we needed to do, but also we're comparing notes. I mean, two of them had young kids and one was a single mom to boot. And so schedules and I can't take time off work. I'm like, yeah, but I can't miss class because if I miss class, um, I could fail my course. So we would all try to figure out who had it the hardest, I think subconsciously, but I would always say, well, I'm the youngest and I don't even have a career and I work a part-time job. So if I don't work a shift at the restaurant, then I don't make money. And, um, or like, if I miss class, there's consequences there. Um, everyone did what they needed to do. I think sometimes my sisters, some of them were, uh, leaned on more so by mom than others, because that's just how it had to be. So I think of course it did bring us together, but you know, over the years too, there have been moments where I feel like mom was the glue holding us together. So when we go through different seasons of life, if we're not kind of together, we don't have mom keeping us together. So there have been bouts of this one's not talking to that one. And that one's not talking to this one. And these two are closer. Um, and that is how it is. Cause we are a crowd. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think we have been able to help each other out and be good sisters. Um, but when we have those moments of not checking in with each other, I feel like, you know, if mom were here, she probably like cut it out and you need to do, you know? Um, so it's interesting because I, I think, you know, it definitely brought us together, but I also do think we all had to go off in our own corners and grieve the way we wanted to. And, um, it's hard because if this one doesn't grieve the way that one does, um, it can start to feel like, aren't you sad? Of course, we're all sad in our own way. So uh, both brought us together and kind of um, keeps us separated in some ways. And I think that there, there's so many pieces to all of that. But ultimately, you know, we have that bond. We've all been through it. We were all through it together. And no matter who had to do the heavier lifting at what point, I think we all tried to do what we could. Um, and one of the things we would get so frustrated with, it's like part of our mom's illness and the medications is she'd forget stuff. And um, I don't know if dementia was on the horizon for her, but I'm I'm glad that we didn't have to experience that with her because I think that's, that's another kind of loss while the person's still there. And that's, I don't think my heart could have handled that. But we used to be really frustrated with mom when we'd go grocery shopping with her and she would kind of dart all over the store. And then it could take like an hour or two and be like, come on, like hurry up. And like, we have, we have, you know, there were kids to take care of. I had schoolwork to do. And it was like, it felt like an inconvenience. And we all say to each other, well, we would not give to spend two and a half hours in the grocery store with our mom. Like little did we know, like stupidly, we were just caught up in the inconvenience. And it really, we were grieving then we lost our mom. Then she lost a lot of her independence and she leaned on us and we weren't all always able to support that. So I think it was frustration of not having enough to take care of her and be like, well, we can't take care of her. We can't even put her in like a decent situation because none of us could afford to do it. And that's wrapped up in a lot of the guilt too, and the stress of her being sick. And I think on some level, she must've known that too, and never got mad at us with it but it felt like, you know, her illness consumed her and it was all she had. But, um, I like incidentally a couple of years ago, broke my foot and I was my right foot. So I couldn't drive. And I was really like immobile and dependent on people. And for that stint of time until I was given the clearance to like walk, 
I mean, everything in my life revolved around healing my foot. And the only conversation I could come up with was that I was like, oh, mom, I'm so sorry. Like, I get it. Like, I get when something's happening to you physically, medically, like it does consume you. So I think we were just saturated with hearing about it because it meant something so much more to us that ultimately this will take her from us. And we weren't ready for that Um, because she hadn't been taken out by anything yet because she was so strong and tough. But um, yeah, there were those things that we all handled it differently, but similarly. So, you know, that's just, that's, it's just, it, we were all individuals and that's how it, that's how it presents. Yeah. Well, and especially with the 16 years difference in age, oh, yeah. or different stages of life and different things going on. Yeah. Um, but the one thing I was just going to say is that I, I don't know if you've ever heard of the, there's a company called StoryWorth. Yes. And I just was just thinking it'd be really interesting since you said like, you know, you all had a different version of your mom mm-hmm. for the you four girls to all get the same questions and answer them and then put them into a book. Um, because like you said too, you know, your family history wasn't that important when you were a certain age, but mm-hmm. it might be kind of fun to gather some of that um, different perspectives and stuff from the four mm-hmm. of you about her. I, um, I, yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts and that comes up as like a sponsored, right? And um, every time I hear that, it makes me sad because a lot of times podcasters are like, I got this for my dad and he does this. And I'm like, well, and also our dad has passed. It was 10 years after my mom passed. And I was, you know, not as close with him because he had moved on and had another family. So I have a totally different relationship there. Um, but I'm like, well, yeah, my mom died and I can't send that to her. So I don't want to, <laughs> but I have never actually thought about the sisters doing that. That's a great idea because I think we really do have, we have different, you know, different moms in our life. And, um, she was the same, like with a one incredible woman. And, um, it is, it is really interesting to hear those stories. And now, like now I'm ready now. I'm like really, really hungry for those because that's, that's the connection I have to her now. Yeah. Yeah. Hear it. Yeah. And I mean, it, you know, um, you said it was 17 years, but unfortunately the longer it goes, like I, I have the harder it is to remember those, the memories, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, I would encourage you to think about it. Yeah. It'd be a great gift for Mother's Day. That would be good. For your three sisters That's for right. Mother's Day. That's right. <laughs> That's true. Oh, uh, well, so Kate, I usually wrap up the podcast if there's a final thought or something you want to share with the listeners before we leave today. I'm thinking of something that, like I told you, I didn't know what was going to come up, but this this moment, I relived this moment a lot. Um, when I was staying with my mom during her you know, sickness when she was in this, like, it wasn't assisted living, but it was like an independent living, reduced rent kind of thing. Uh, I was leaving to go wait tables and I didn't like to take the elevator. It was on the second floor. So I would go to the stairs. And I remember she was in like her pajamas and she was saying, she like followed me to the door. And I'm like, okay, mom. Okay, mom. It's like, I'll be back whatever time. And I remember walking down the hallway to push the doors to go to the stairwell. And I turned around and I looked and she's standing in the doorway watching me. And I was like, can I help you? And I was like, what, why are you what, what are you doing at the door still? I was like, I got to go. And she's like, I just wanted to look at you. You're my baby. And I was like, oh, I was like, you're corny. I was like, stop it. And I left and I came home and it was very uneventful. And I came back. Um, I think about that now. And I think about how much like, I'm like, oh, mom, I get you now. I so get you. I have so many of these moments in motherhood that I'm like, I get you now. And I'm always like, well, sorry, mom. Sorry. I was like a moody teenager and kind of a moody early 20 something, um, because I wasn't handling the grief, but I do that to my daughter now where she's, she'll like, look at me and I'll look at her. She'll catch me looking at her. She's like, what? I'm like, just looking at you. And she's like, oh, like, hi. So, um, I tease her that she's not, you know, a moody teenager yet. I'll take it. Um, that she's like, it's okay. You can look at me. And I think someday you'll feel differently about that, but then maybe another time when you're grown, you'll feel exactly the same. And so I, you know, I say to my mom all the time, when I think of her, I'm like, I get you. I understand you. I know why you did the things like it took being a mom to understand my mom. And that's a beautiful thing. And, um, although I don't have her here to have the direct conversations, like my heart talks to her all the time. Um, and in those moments, I just ask her to show up in my dreams if she can. And uh, sometimes she does. So I just, you know, to anyone out there who's who's still got a mom, and I feel like the audience for this show is a lot of people who don't have their moms. But, you know, the one thing I think we may all be able to share is that, like, just enjoy your mom while you have her. Uh, enjoy what you had when you had it. 
And um, I know that I can apologize for any of my uh, moments where I didn't understand her because I completely understand her now. And I think that that's as sad as it is to not have her here. It's, it's still beautiful to be able to connect with her. And that's, you know, that's what I've got now. That's, I got it. I'll take it. And I'll be happy with that because for as I was 24 when she died. So for the the short time I had her in my life, um, I'm really grateful that she was my mom and I had her because I would rather have had her that short time than not at all. Um, I'm really grateful for her because I do think I'm still learning from her even after she's gone. And I hope that, you know, her soul is at ease with that. Well, thank you, Kate, so much for being here. Thank you so much. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in sharing your story on the podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.